Support for today's podcast episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. Recovery Elevator, episode 177. But when I am in the moment, like having a really strong emotion, my mind used to go to a place that it was going to, it's like I didn't think that it would end. Like it was going to last forever and I just needed to run away from it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Jade. She's 27 years old. She's from Kentucky, and she's been sober since April 14th, 2018. Before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator Podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. I'd like to talk to you guys today about the ego. And here's what I'm going to cover. I'm going to cover the definition of the ego, what it is, how it's created, what an unhealthy ego can do, and what a healthy ego can look like. I'm also going to cover why the ego can be so dangerous. And then after we hear from Jade, I'll give my two cents on the ego. So what is the ego? According to the dictionary, it's the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious mind and is responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity. Ego is Greek for I. In Spanish, it's yo. In German and Dutch, it's ik. What does a wiki have to say about it? Well, Freud sailed to the New World in the 15th century and discovered the ego. I'm just kidding, I just made that up. The ego is a Freudian concept he worked on in the early 1900s. The ego is the self-concept, a collection of beliefs about oneself that embodies the answer to who am I. Ego is the I pronoun. And then we have egoism, which is an ethical theory that treats self-interest as the foundation of morality. And then we have egotism. Egotism is the drive to maintain and enhance favorable views of oneself. Let's talk about how the ego is created. As an infant, a child is born without a sense of self and thus without an ego per se. This was critical to our survival at the time and permitted us to gradually transition from a felt state of total oneness with mother to developing a personal sense of self as a separate and unique entity. In the first years of life, our interactions with primary caregivers shaped our ego and ego strength in ways that can have a lifelong impact. A young child's sense of self, particularly in response to stress, is subconsciously wired or imprinted as learned neural patterns in relational exchanges with primary caregivers. Let me summarize that. We are born without an ego. If we had an ego at birth, we wouldn't last long. And then slowly, within time, we develop an ego. Here is what an unhealthy ego can look like. Someone may find themselves wasting a lot of time and energy fighting the present moment. 
in fact, wishing it would go away. A person may reject or deny the necessity of facing their fears. A person may refuse to accept or deal with what is currently happening in their life. A person may have unrealistic expectations for what should or what must happen in order for them to feel happiness, joy, or pleasure. A person may believe that relationships and happiness in life means the absence of emotional pain, fear, and anger. Now let's take a look at what a healthy ego looks like. In a nutshell, a healthy ego is an ability to regulate painful emotions rooted in anger and fear while being in the present moment. This can look like taking a learning approach to life that increasingly grows their strength and confidence in handling triggering situations. A healthy ego is having an ability to tolerate uncomfortable situations. A person with a healthy ego approaches life with an overall curiosity and readiness to explore things they're not familiar with. Someone with a healthy ego does not personalize with what others say or do. Here are a couple snippets from the 12 by 12 in Big Book about the ego. In the 12 and 12 on page 74, it says, Our eyes begin to open to the immense values which have come straight out of a painful ego puncturing. This is also in the 12 and 12. The 12 steps deflate the ego. Also mentioned, when it comes to ego deflation, few steps are harder to take than step 4 and 5. Why? Well, because it's a sense of death within, and I'll get to more about that shortly. But here's what author Eckhart Tolle has to say about the ego. Ego is thinking. We are addicted to it because we have identified with it, which means you derive your sense of self from the content and activity of the mind. Because you believe you would cease to be if you stopped thinking. As you grow up, you form a mental image of who you are based on your personal and cultural conditioning. We may call this phantom self the ego. The ego consists of mind, activity, and can only be kept going through constant thinking. The term ego means different things to different people, but when Eckhart uses it, he refers to a false self. This false self is created by unconscious identification of the mind. To the ego, the present moment hardly exists. Only past and future are considered important. This total reversal of the truth accounts for the fact that in ego mode, the mind is completely dysfunctional. The ego is always concerned with keeping the past alive, because without it, who are you? It constantly projects itself into the future to ensure its continued survival and to seek some sort of fulfillment. It says, one day, when this, that, or the other thing happens, I'm going to be happy and at peace. Even when the ego seems concerned with the present, it is not the present that it sees. It misperceives it completely because it looks at it through the eyes of the past. And this is considerably bleak. It reduces the present moment to a means to an end. An end that always lies in the mind-projected future. Observe your mind and you will see this is how it works. The present moment holds the key to liberation, but you cannot find the present moment as long as you are your ego mind. So we are roughly 7 minutes and 30 seconds into this podcast episode, and if you're still with me, great. Nice job. Your mind doesn't want to hear this episode. It doesn't at all. It's telling you to press stop. My mind, it didn't want me to research this podcast episode. The ego is starting to say, wait a second, we are hearing things that might kill us. So do your best to stay in the present while listening to the remainder of this episode. I love you guys, by the way. So why can the ego be so dangerous and so hard to address? Well, the ego does a great job of reducing the value of the present moment. In fact, the ego rarely allows us to be 
in the present moment. Sobriety is located in the present moment. When we are in the now, we can always cope with the present moment, but we cannot cope with something that is a mind projection. You cannot cope with the future. As long as you've identified with your mind, the ego runs your life. Because of its phantom nature and elaborate defense mechanisms, the ego is very vulnerable and insecure. The ego sees itself as constantly under threat. Fear seems to have many causes. Fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of being hurt, fear of being alone, and so on. But ultimately, all fear is the ego's fear of death. To the ego, death is always just around the corner. Fear of death in the ego may present itself in a trivial argument with the need to be right and make the other person wrong. If you identify with a mental position and then you find out you're wrong, your mind-based sense of self is seriously threatened with annihilation. So you, as the ego, cannot afford to be wrong. To be wrong is to die. And this is why step four and step five in AA are so hard. We begin to challenge and face the ego for what it is, and it's not easy. Wars have been fought, and countless relationships have broken down due to the ego. So how do we address the ego? If the ego dwells in the past and future, then the key to liberation is the present. The ego does its best to deflect our efforts to be in the present moment. Like I said, the present moment holds the key to liberation. That is where sobriety is located. And as I've said in earlier podcast episodes, sobriety is not located in our comfort zone. If you can put two and two together, you're way ahead of the game. If you're still with me, nice job. That's a tough topic to cover and a tough topic to follow as a listener. I'm going to share a couple more words about the ego after we hear from today's interviewee, Jade. But before we hear from Jade, let's hear from today's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Visit ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, now let's hear from Jade. Jade, how are you? I'm great, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, Jade. Thanks for asking. Jade, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I've been sober for 61 days today. Boom. And what's the date? Not today. Your sobriety date. Uh, sobriety date is April 14th, 2018. Wow. What a beautiful day. Four days after my birthday. Great job. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. And Jade, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, how old you are, what you do for a living. Do you have a family? But most importantly, what do you like to do for fun, Jade? I'm from a really small town in Kentucky, and it's about an hour and a half north of Nashville. I'm 27. Uh, for a living, I actually work as a manager at a liquor store, and I'm also attending school. And then for fun, I like to 
swim, go out on the lake, play the piano, spend time hanging out with my dog, Abby. And uh, I've been reading a lot more lately, too. But I'm also just trying to figure out what I like to do now as a sober person. because, And a lot of other people have said this. What I've been doing for fun for the last few years is basically revolved around alcohol. Sure. My pen was scribbling furiously right there. There's a couple couple things we're going to chat about later on in this interview. But uh, one, one, one quick question <laughs> is, what, what are you reading right now? I'm actually getting into the fifth Harry Potter book because I never read the last like few books. I always stopped at book four, and I haven't seen any movies past the fourth movie either. Oh. So I'm picking that back up. It's exciting. Well, good. That's awesome. And Jade, let's chat about some alcohol for a moment here. Hey, you're 27 years old. You've been sober for 61 days, which is awesome. Congratulations. I hope that feels good. You should be very proud because I'm proud of you. And back it up a little bit. When did you first start to realize that perhaps you had a problem with alcohol? In hindsight, I've always been a problem drinker ever since I started drinking when I was 16. But I think it really dawned on me that I had a problem about a little over two years ago. So you were 25 at that moment? Yes. When I was 25... I was in a long-term relationship, and I was living with my ex and his kids at the time, and that relationship had a lot of drama, and I was actually, like, basically raising his son. I was doing all the mom stuff, and it really stressed me out, and I dealt with a lot of that conflict and the abuse with alcohol. So he was actually the first person to really sit me down and kind of intervene in a way And so I actually got sober for about 40 days around that time. And I went to my first AA meeting around that time as well. Okay. And this is about two years Um, ago, right? About two years ago. Yeah. So I only attended one AA meeting and I didn't really have like any kind of support system. And then also when I got sober and I started taking care of my own stuff, it kind of brought to light that I wasn't the real problem in the relationship Mm. There was a lot more going on. And so long story short, that relationship ended and it was a great thing and it was my decision to end it. But it also put me in a situation where it was basically my life got flipped upside down because I didn't have my identity of being basically a mother, you know, to kids. And I had to move back home with my parents. So I started drinking again after about 40 days sober. And it's taken this long to even get more than a week sober since then. Yeah, that reminds me of a quote uh, from a guy named Jim. He interviewed probably 25, 30 podcast episodes where it's it's easier to stay sober than to get sober. No I'm, question. I'm very familiar with that quote yeah. from a <laughs> yeah. guy named Jim. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you understand. Yeah, you know Jim. So during that 40 days without alcohol, were you able to have the clarity to realize I need to get out of this relationship? Is that when that happened? That's exactly what happened because, like I said, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this, but for the whole four years we were together, I blamed myself and my drinking for basically all of our problems, and he was pretty abusive, mostly emotionally, but it did get physical towards the end, and I put that on myself, but when I took alcohol out of the equation, it just became very clear that I wasn't the problem. My drinking wasn't the problem. It was a problem. But yeah, it definitely brought a lot more things to light. Well, sure. It allows you to see a new perspective on things and our vision is blurred while we're drunk. But yeah, the fog can lift enough for you to see, wait a second, 
this scenario that I'm currently in is not healthy. And Jade, let's actually back it up a little bit more before age 25. Were there any mm-hmm. indicators before that that perhaps you drank you know, not like a normal drinker or your reaction to alcohol was different or you liked it more than you know, your friends? There were definitely a ton of indicators, but the thing is, and I'm sure this is a common thread, I surrounded myself by people that were like me. I did not enjoy hanging out with normal drinkers because they would have like two or three drinks or whatever. They'd either get tired or want to do something else. So I made friends with the people that would go hard and just drink like basically all night till the sun came up. So looking back, it's a lot easier to see that. But at the time, it was so normal in my life. And I've been working at a liquor store for about five years. So that part of my life is very centered around alcohol as well. And it it was kind of hard to see it while I was in it. But looking back, there's always been a problem. And the main problem was once I started, I couldn't stop. Oh, okay. And I've got manager at liquor store. I wrote that down when you gave the intro and then I just underlined it when you said it again. (laughs) So we will get to that in a moment. But, uh, you just said a huge thing is you found it difficult to stop when you started drinking. Is that what I just heard from you? Definitely. I never, I mean, I can't remember a time where I stopped after one or two. If I was going to stop after one or two, I just wasn't going to drink anything because I didn't see the point in it. I know a lot of people listening can relate to that, including myself. Mm-hmm. And is there a time you can remember, or can you go into more detail about what it was like if you did have just one, you know, to, to shut it down? Or how hard was it to shut it down? There actually, I said that, but looking back, I was a DD a couple times, I can remember. And of course, I would have one, you know, one beer at the bar or whatever and continue when I got home. But between the first drink and then being able to continue it, I remember just feeling very irritable. It's like, and looking back now, I know it's my addiction getting mad at me because I wasn't feeding it more. But yeah, definitely a lot of irritability, just like a headache. It just was not fun. I just wanted more and more. And I recall being the DD, there was two separate emotions. Number one, if I was a DD, I did it successfully. It was like, yes, I am not an alcoholic. I can do this. I had a good time. (laughs) And then I would almost earn my next 55 drunks. And there was another times where, yeah, I was a DD and I was out with friends and it was like this internal red flag that I suppressed the instant I dropped my friends off, I'd go home and drink by myself alone. But this internal red flag was like, wait a second, Paul, we are not enjoying hanging out with our friends without this addictive substance called alcohol. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough thing to recognize. Absolutely. Yeah. What was that like for you? I can definitely relate to that because You know, whenever I first started drinking and I was partying a lot in high school and college, alcohol was very social. And then towards the end, I didn't even want to be around people when I was drinking because I knew that I was just going to end up getting hammered and embarrass myself or do something that I'd regret, whatever it may be. And so I would only drink alone. I would only get drunk alone. I might have one or two drinks, like you're saying, out at the bar. I'm a needy or whatever but I only wanted to really drink by myself because I felt safer that way. Mm. Jade, I can already tell you're an intelligent gal and myself, I'm an intelligent guy. We kind of, you know, played the tape forward in our head as in we were like, wait a second, Mm -hmm. I'm only going out to the bar, you know, quote unquote, hanging out with these friends to get shit faced. How do I just eliminate Mm -hmm. the driving, the expensive bar tab, uh, you know, the crappy music? Why don't I just go home and get drunk by myself? And that's how the last couple of years looked like for me. Was that something similar with you? 
Oh, definitely. You, I couldn't have said it better myself than you just did. <laughs> I had it written down, Jade, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the progression of alcohol. That's where it takes us. And it kind of just matters where you are on that scale. A lot of people I've chatted with, it eventually leads to drinking alone. And that's also like a badge of honor saying like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I I've never drank alone until you do drink alone. So mm -hmm. yeah. And, and you know, at the end, before you quit drinking, Jade, maybe describe your drinking habits. How much were you drinking? I, I got to stop asking this question, but like what rules did you put into place? <laughs> well, first of all, I was drinking almost every day. The only days I would skip drinking if I'd actually like gone really, really hard the night before and was super hungover Sometimes I just wouldn't, like, have the energy to get out and get more booze, and I would just sleep it off um, pretty much all day. And as far as rules go, my rules were kind of backwards compared to a lot of people that I've heard on this podcast. So instead of switching, like, to beer or wine, I switched from beer and wine to liquor. Um, and then the logic in that was... Yes, please explain. It, I'm curious. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Well, it made sense then. Now it sounds ridiculous, but there was a logic to it. So ounce for ounce of actual alcohol, liquor is a lot cheaper and less calories. And so after I moved out on my own, I dieted and I wanted to like get healthier and I was counting calories. Well, I figured out quickly that the most calorie efficient way to drink was like vodka and diet soda. And also cheap vodka is a lot less expensive than craft beer or decent wine, like per ounce of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also quicker. So that's the logic there. Uh, I figured if I wasn't hurting my waistline too much or my wallet too much, I was all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And Jade, we are fantastic at solving one problem and creating a myriad of more problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Jade, we're at 12 minutes into this interview. And I, I just want to share with listeners before we hit the record button, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling great. But, but you uh, were, you were I, nervous, is that what you said? I was extremely nervous. I almost backed out. I don't know if you would have called me if I hadn't like called you at the scheduled time, but <laughs> I was going to decline your call for sure. <laughs> well, Jade, I, I made just want to say... I'm having to force myself out of my comfort zone a lot more lately. Yeah, Jade, <laughs> I just want to say at this moment of the interview, you've been doing great for 13 minutes. Uh, so nice job. Yeah, you're doing great. Thank you. Yeah, and so, you know, walk us through the, the the time leading up to April 14th, 2018. Was there a rock bottom moment that propelled you forward into 61 days of sobriety? What happened? Well, like I said before, I've been trying to get sober for two years. And throughout that whole two-year period, I've been actually, when I wasn't drunk, obviously, um, reading, listening to podcasts and um, I browse the Stop Drinking subreddit a lot, so that's kind of the tool that I started using during my first stint in sobriety and then throughout the two years, and so I've known for a long time that I needed to stop. So there wasn't really a really dramatic rock-bottom moment for me uh, 61 days ago. It was more or less like finally figuring out, and you say it every single episode, and I've I was listening to this podcast for months before I did it, but figuring out that I can't do this alone and actually um, joining a community in the Cafe Artie Facebook group. So it's mostly just being sick and tired of being sick and tired and just 
making that step to reach out because I had so much anxiety. I didn't think that I was worth sobriety and I didn't think anybody would care if I, you know, shared what I was going through. And, Mm -hmm. but I found the exact opposite true. And I've, I've gained so much from like sharing my journey with the posts and videos on the Facebook group. That's what propelled me into sobriety. It's not super dramatic. I was very well functioning for the amount that I was drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd make it to work every day. I support myself and take care of my dog. I'm, I'm in school, which hasn't really gone as well as it could have, but I, w- I was getting by. Like, I didn't go to jail. I didn't lose a job. I didn't lose a relationship, a decent relationship because of alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, Jade, I just heard get to work. I underlined that for a second time. We'll chat about that shortly. But Jade, I'm not sure if you know it or not, but you just dropped huge, two huge value bombs. Number one, we've heard of this podcast, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. But there's something bigger behind that statement. That's you being able to recognize those destructive patterns and behaviors of thinking, the ego. You're basically be able to like step back from the ego and realize, wait a second, my mind, what it's creating is not working. Because our mind, unfortunately, cannot get us out of this addiction hamster wheel. So good for you. Nice job. Second on that, you you also realize you can't do this alone. Those are two value bombs back-to-back which have had had powerful repercussions resulting in 61 days of sobriety. Nice job. Thank you. I can't believe I have 61 days of sobriety, and it's actually been a whole lot easier than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, I don't know how often people say that in early sobriety, but... It's made all the difference having just a support group and people to reach out to. Okay, I'm going to stop you right I'm there. struggling. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You know your journey better than I do, but I think that's why. I've heard on this podcast mm-hmm. that, yeah, it hasn't been as hard as I thought. I've also heard on this podcast, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to freaking do. So I think, you know, you, like I said, that second value bomb was dropped. It was huge. I went two and a half years of sobriety without reaching that second value bomb. I didn't bring anybody else on my recovery team. And you got sober, signed up for Cafe Re, you know, brought a community on board. And I don't know, do you think that might have played a role? Uh, and again, listeners, I'm, it can be Cafe Re, it can be anything, but you have to bring somebody on board. Yeah, talk to us about that. Definitely. Definitely. That's the only difference. That's the only thing I added. And then I was actually able to start stacking days. And I've been trying, you know, I have a, I've had a sobriety counter on my phone for over two years and I was using it. I was having to reset it every day or of course, sometimes I would just get lazy and I'd let it go for a month and then go back to day one. But I mean, there was hundreds. I know I've had at least probably 200 day ones, probably 150 day twos and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Maybe a handful of week like one week of sobriety and it just wasn't working and I could not figure out why and I'm stubborn because this whole time that I've been listening to your podcast you literally say it <laughs> all the time that you can't do it alone and I don't I don't know why it took me so long to actually act on that but I'm really glad I did well it, it's just the addicted thinking patterns in our brain there's many people out there that that still won't ever grasp that concept and just the mere fact you're listening to the podcast, your heart has been guiding you in the right direction, giving these incremental steps. But then, yeah, you got sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's huge. You were able to recognize the ego for what it was. And then B, hey, guys, I need some help. Those are two huge monumental steps forward in your journey. I'm so happy for you. And, you know, in, in 60, 61 days, have you had any cravings? And what, what have you done? I've had a lot of cravings and mostly... 
I'll post on Cafe RE and just let people know I'm struggling. Usually that will pretty much lift me out of it um, most of the time. Playing the tape forward is a big one for me too. And I don't even have to play my tape very far forward at all because I know if I do give it in drink, I'm going to be thinking about the second and third drink before I'm even done with the first. And that loss of control really always bothered me. Can you explain uh, to listeners what play the tape forward is? Play the tape forward is your, in your mind when you're struggling and you're wanting to pick up that drink, you just think about the consequences in chronological order. So what's going to happen if I take the first sip? Well, for me, that's going to lead to downing however much alcohol I have in my apartment and possibly finding a way to get more. And uh, waking up hungover, full of regret, not getting anything done the next day, and really just anxious and a lot of self-loathing. And then, the, of course, the long-term consequences are very real, too. Yeah, you nailed um, it. So, In fact, next time somebody asks me what play the tape forward is, I'm just going to just copy and paste that. <laughs> nice job. That's exactly it. And we're able to disassociate from that chirping addiction voice in our brain. play Because that, that voice plays a narrative that is always false. It always says, hey, Jade, hey, Paul, tonight we're just going to have mm -hmm. one and done. Hey, it was a beautiful sunny day. How about a corona? That never happens when we play the tape forward and say, oh, yeah. There's, there's 300 nights of data behind me that, that contradict this, this addiction chirping in my brain. Yeah, great job. And, and, you know, so, exactly. And what have you learned most about yourself in 61 days of sobriety, Jade? I've learned a whole lot about myself, but probably that my emotions aren't permanent. I guess it, it's probably a common thread with addicts and people that struggle with alcohol. But when I am in the moment, like having a really strong emotion, my mind used to go to a place that it was going to, it's like I didn't think that it would end, like it was going to last forever and I just needed to run away from it. So learning how to sit with those emotions and deal with them in a healthy way and actually feel them to let them pass is, has been huge for me because if I can sit with them and deal with them, I don't have to reach for anything, um, whether that be a drink or a distraction. You know, I don't want to have to distract myself away from drinking for the rest of my life in sobriety. So that's probably been huge, just knowing that I don't have to run away from my own mind as much or my own emotions. Yeah, Jade, you knocked that question out of the park. You did. And, you know, one of the bullet points on the goal of sobriety of what to attain is to become a self-regulating adult. And the majority of adults out there, when they feel these uncomfortable feelings, they don't run away from them. And I did it for a long time with alcohol. Right. And that's that's it's it's, it's a never ending process for me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I haven't drank in a long time. And I'm still working on becoming a self-regulating adult when I have that anxiety, the depression, the emotions, like you just said, Jade, that, that, that's huge. You can sit with them and say, wait a second, take it at face value. I don't need to drink mm -hmm. over this. And every time we do this, we build those emotional sobriety muscles. It gets easier and easier, but it's extremely difficult at first. And Jade, what would you say the biggest challenge that you've seen so far in the first two months of sobriety? The biggest challenge, honestly, has just been getting out of the routine and even still at 61 days and probably for the next little while in sobriety, it's felt like something's missing. And even though, even when I don't want to drink and like the thought of alcohol just disgusts me, 
I still feel like something's missing. So I can't really sit still very long and like watch something on TV without having a cup of coffee or food, which I've used to replace alcohol with <laughs> the past couple of months a little bit. It's just that interrupting, I guess, the routine of actually drinking every day. Jade, this this might sound strange to listeners, but in the in early recovery, you're going to be downgrading addictions for a long time, right? And mm-hmm. and if if you find yourself just shoveling the Ben and Jerry's or chocolate down to make it through a night without drinking, girl, you do what you got to do to get there. You do and- <laughs> absolutely. I I buy high, uh, Halo Top, so I <laughs> try not to go for like the real high calorie stuff. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, and so quitting alcohol, unfortunately, it, that's like half the battle, but it's not a panacea of sorts. In episode 155, I don't know if you've heard it, and listeners, I highly recommend go back listening to it. It's about filling the void left by alcohol. And here's mm-hmm. the good news is it doesn't have to be painful. And you mentioned it in the first question, the second question I asked you in the background. You mentioned, you know, I'm I'm still exploring what I like to do. You're not going to know this in 61 days, and this should be fun. It should be adventuresome. It should be this, this exciting time in your life and saying, wait, I can wake up at 6 a.m. and I can go bass fishing if I want to. I don't know if you're into that, but you can. Yeah. You've got this really cool opportunity in front of you. Um, but yeah, there's a void. We, that's, there's a void that is ever present when we quit drinking. Mm-hmm. And as, as long as you fill it with, with like ice cream and, and, and a movie night, that is fine. That is totally fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and walk us through a day in your recovery, Jade. What's your plan to get day 62, day 63? Well, every day I wake up and I try to get up earlier than I used to to get a good walk-in with my dog. What kind of dog? I start my day off. You left that out earlier when you said he, he had a, when I asked you, oh, you have a dog? He, I got a dog. She's a, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like dogs. She's a rescue, so she. I got her from the shelter and she was a stray, so I actually have no idea what kind of breed she is. I did one of those wisdom panels on her uh-huh. and it came back like 70% mixed breeds. <laughs> but I think she looks like a mountain cur if you've ever seen those. She's just a little brindle. I, I think her head looks like a lab shape. That's awesome. That's lab awesome. Head, but So yeah, we usually, I try to get her out and walk her. I get her fed. I turn her Roku channel on. It's called Dog Relaxation. It plays her music all day. And then if I have to go to work, I go do that. And then afterwards, we usually go for another walk. I might play my piano a little bit. I always, constantly through the day, I'm checking in on Cafe RE and just reading like blogs about recovery. I just, I try to intersperse little recovery nuggets through my day to help get me through. Jade, you I now have three underlines under manager at liquor store. <laughs> let's uh let's chat about the elephant in the room. So you've been working there for five years and I've been working at the current store for four years, but I was working at another store for the prior year. Okay. But okay. Do you foresee any pitfalls with this, perhaps? You know, people always assume that I'm under a lot of temptation at work and it actually hasn't been bad at all. And I think it's because this time I've really made up my mind that I want to be sober. And, you know, if anything, like working with alcohol and seeing so many alcoholics coming in and out my store every day. And after reading this naked mind, it's kind of a re- more of a reinforcer to stay away from it. 
And then on the other side of the coin, when I was still drinking, I I would use it as an excuse. I think whenever I get a different job, I'll get sober, but I can't get sober and work at a liquor store. And so that was always kind of in my head for the past couple of years. And there's not, there's just not a lot of opportunities in my area. That's why I'm in school right now. And my job offers me a lot in terms of being able to support myself and my schedule is pretty decent and I can attend school at the same time. So I, I had to find a way to get around that without just quitting and putting myself in a bad financial situation or something like that. So I used it as an excuse for a long time, but then I just kind of, by the time I was ready to quit drinking, I figured out that it was a pretty lame excuse all in all. Well, Jade, in AA, did you say don't make any dramatic changes in the first year of sobriety? So you should probably stick with your job. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, I, I actually see two sides of this coin. And number one is mm-hmm. you've heard face your fears, right? If you're going to drink, mm-hmm. you're probably going to drink. But you can't run away exactly. from alcohol forever. You're looking at it in at its face, at face value, and you're facing your fears. And number two, that could be some great sobriety fuel especially after mm-hmm. reading books like Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, you're able to see alcohol for what it really is. And there might be some empathy and compassion for customers that come in and play the same tricks and antics that I know I've done. Hey, Jay, oh, I'm having a dinner party. Definitely. Yeah, what a, what <laughs> extravagant uh, what extravagant you know, alcohols can you recommend? You know, things like that. <laughs> you you see the patterns. You can recognize it. And maybe you can even be of, be of some support. It, somebody could say, hey, like, uh, you know, have you tried this tequila? And maybe you could say, you know, I haven't, I haven't had a drink for 61 days. I can't give you mm-hmm. my personal opinion, but the rep says this. Hi, you've got some cool mm-hmm. service opportunities in there as well. Definitely. I actually always think about this one time way before I think I was even thinking about getting sober. But a guy came in and he was like on the brink of relapse. And I can't remember how much sober time he had. It was, it was kind of up there. It was like a few years or so. And he actually told me that mm-hmm. he was about to have his first drink in like such and such number of years. And I didn't know what to say. Like, I knew that was horrible. And I just always kind of like I've thought about him and wondered what could have happened to him. And then if that situation were to happen now, how I would handle it differently. And it's also really interesting slash sad to see the progression in my customer. There's a few that. Like, I've really noticed that they're realizing they have a problem. You can see it on their faces, you know, with a lot of our customers when they come in. So, yeah, I maybe I'll be in the right place at the right time, be able to help somebody else. At the same time, I, I have to do my job, so yeah. I have to kind of almost separate it. But, I mean, I'm not going to put somebody's life behind my boss's bottom line, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it should be interesting. I don't plan on going anywhere anytime uh, soon until I finish school. So, yeah, I DJed at, at bars and nightclubs in early sobriety. Uh, the first time mm-hmm. I was sober in 2010, probably maybe 100, 125 times. And right around midnight, kind of the opposite happened. People would come up and request songs, and they're you know, spilling drinks, slurring their words. I was almost like, thank you for confirming my decision to no longer involve alcohol in my life because it's, it's great sobriety fuel being around drunk people so um yeah but as long Definitely. as you're cognizant because at times uh you know perhaps the addiction will start chirping your own voice um but yeah mm-hmm. it sounds like you're on solid footing there and jade we have reached the rapid fire round if you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds that would be great are you ready 
I am ready. All right. Jade, what was your worst memory from drinking? My worst memory from drinking, probably the non-memories, the memories that didn't get made. So waking up out of a blackout and having to figure out what the fuck I did or mm -hmm. if I need to apologize to anybody. Yep, absolutely. We've all heard the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that you should probably quit drinking? I actually remember the moment that I started noticing that instead of getting hangovers, I was probably crossing the line into alcohol withdrawal. So my my hangovers were feeling very different, and a big part of that was the anxiety mm. and just feeling in my bones how much I was hurting myself. Wow, that's big. And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Jade? I really have been meaning to try to get to more in-person meetings and um, to meet sober people locally to me. So I have people I can like call up and meet for coffee and so I'm not so isolated. I think that's a fantastic plan. And Jade, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Probably my favorite piece of advice was when I, somebody told me whenever I was first joining Cafe RE and I mentioned that I felt like a burden asking people for help or I felt really self-absorbed for making posts talking just about myself and my life. And I was actually informed that sharing my struggles and accepting their support, I'm, I help other people to stay sober. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. So to share my journey was the best advice I got. Wow. What a great realization. And it is so true. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or are thinking about getting sober, Jade? Basically, just to reach out and find a support system. And you'll find that you're able to inspire other people to stay sober. And you'll also be really surprised, I think, because I was at the response and support that you get from your support system. Reach out. Find your tribe. They'll help you. And you'll help them. I love it, Jade. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic <laughs> gift line. You might be an alcoholic if you leave your job at a liquor store to drive to the other liquor store across town so your coworkers don't know how much you drink after work. Uh, I was hoping you would tie that in with your <laughs> liquor store job. Yes. Good one. Jade, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Paul. My ego was killing me. In episode 170, you can find the means of how I learned that my ego was killing me. This was a tough topic. Usually, my ratio of research to podcast time is like 2 to 1. I'll read for 20 minutes, and then I'll make a 10-minute podcast episode. You get the point. This was like a 10 to 1 ratio. My brain kept telling me to stop doing this. The ego kept jumping in and saying, wait, this isn't true, because it's the fear of internal death, fear of internal annihilation, the fear of being wrong. I feel so bad for Ty who edits the podcast out of 177 episodes, I couldn't talk. My ego literally just wouldn't allow me to talk during this episode. So anyways, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Like I said, I love you guys. Okay, Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. <laughs>